and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Edge Television is currently on Wild TV in Canada and through the Versus Network through the end of June. That's right, we're still on for a couple more weeks. My co-host Aaron Martin and I will be checking in with Angler Bass veteran Denny Brower, the man, the myth, and the guy that's got his own Wheaties box. And Aaron... I don't know what else you want to say. No, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty impressive that you are, already have your own lure line, but, uh, you know, to get out on a Wheaties box, that's, that's pretty good, too. Yeah. I'm, well, if it was like Wheaties and Berries, then he'd really be up there. <laughs> no, at least it's not brain flakes. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. All right, folks, we got an Inside Edge segment for you as well, and we'll be right back. It's all right here for you on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hi, welcome to the Edge. This week's Talking Points. Got a lot of stuff to throw down at you. First up, uh, Aaron, I understand that you had a good week down in Oklahoma. Man, we did. You know, it's it's always exciting to uh, get to go and, and talk about fishing, but a little different down at Ditchwich. They actually had uh, what they call kind of their, their fishing days, and believe it or not, we had over 250 People sign up to go fishing, and then probably another three or four hundred people that just came and participated. We did some clinics, some casting clinics, all the way from very beginning, uh, all the way up to the more advanced, teaching people how to pitch and you know flip and uh, just you know just a great time. Yeah, I, I wish I would have been there. Well, um, you know the unfortunate thing <laughs> is on that is the water situation. I mean, you know, not to completely take the wind out of the sails here, but you know, you guys got pounded. Yeah, 88 counties out of 99 are in Iowa are disaster areas. It's just big mess up here. The good news is the water's starting to crest down. Do you want to send out some uh, some prayers out to the four kids that were killed up in uh, Little Sioux, Iowa, on the tornado when it hit the Boy Scout camp? That was a major travesty, and you know my hearts go out to their families. I mean, I can't imagine losing a 14 year old kid. I, it's just awful. Yeah, no, no question. And and of course, everybody. I mean, is is just. Uh, I, I guess. One positive that comes out of that is, is getting to see how people pull together and, and chip in, and, and you really well, get that sense of community. Yeah, I mean, if it had to happen anywhere, thank God it did happen at a Boy Scout camp, because the readiness of those kids, um, there would have been a lot more people killed. Um, those those Boy Scouts are trained, and the Boy Scout leaders are trained so well that when that when that tornado went through there, I mean, they were able to apply first aid, and I mean, they really did a good job. Just an awful thing to happen anywhere, but if it had to happen somewhere, at least they were able to cope with it afterwards. And again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families that lost the four boys. God bless. We're really sorry. No question. No question. You know. But uh, anyway, things uh, hopefully are going to settle down now, and uh, the water's coming. The bad news is it's all coming bound your way to Missouri. It is, and you know, the, the interesting thing... Um, was down at Morgan City a, a couple of weeks ago down on the Cajun coast, you know, and, and of course all of that water that had just uh, came out of really about a month and a half ago uh, had finally made its way down to the coast, and they're already, you know, under a flood situation there. Well, you know, that water only has one place to go, and we've, we've talked about it so much this year uh, of the high water situation, and, and it seems like that it's just an odd weather pattern. I mean, it really, really is. Yeah, it's crazy. 
A lot of stuff going on with the Edge folks. Uh, you know, Bass Edge is uh, doing uh, their summer programming here starting in a couple weeks on Wild TV. There's new technology coming on, and I'm really excited about this <laughs> one because this widget thing is going to be awesome. You know, you hear me talk about Aaron's hair from time to time. Now, you are actually going to be able to install some software on your laptop, on your computer, and actually watch Aaron's hair grow day by day. It automatically updates the uh, the photo on it, and it's like having a webcam to Aaron's hair. And I, I got to tell you, I don't just for men as sponsoring. I don't know how you got that done, Aaron, but I'm telling you. I'm I'm proud of you. Uh, are you done now? I'm done. <laughs> you know, I I don't even know why I even send you emails. You know, um, but no, you are right from the standpoint of the new technology coming from a person who didn't know what a podcast was until our seventh episode of of recording. But um, no, you you are right, Dan. This is this is uh, new technology. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, you know, this the software is, can be downloaded absolutely free uh, from our website. But basically. It allows you to uh, stay abreast of any new information that's posted to the website, any new podcasts, new videos uh, that come up. It automatically alerts you and uh, really keeps you from having to have multiple browsers open at the same time, kind of eating up that valuable memory and storage space. So uh, Bass Edge is taking it to the next level, and that's part of it. Yeah, and don't forget, we're going to have a great contest this summer to see if whoever can predict at what mile per hour on the water Aaron's hair fails, yeah. you're going to get something from Keelguard, some real butter from Arden. You're going to get a big bunch of stuff. So stay tuned more for that. Yeah, you know, the only thing I can say to that is you, is you better hope I don't go bald because you're totally going to lose everything to talk about on here. You know what? Well, you know, I'm just proud of you. Yeah, I, I, I know. I appreciate I can feel. I can feel the love, Dan. Well, you said, hey, and speaking of love, there's some new stuff on uh, Fishing on the Edge shirts and, I don't know. You finally came out with the ladies' pink G-strings. Is what that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that says uh, ladies' pink tees. Oh, okay. T-shirts. Right. Well, I was yeah. going to say. You know, I know we're a family show. I didn't know exactly. where you were going with that. But. Yeah. No, those are uh, uh, especially for we had um, met with our design consultants, and they came in and uh, put together kind of a, a very nice embroidered T-shirt for the for the ladies. Well, that's awesome. The ladies deserve some fine fashion. Absolutely. Yeah, keep those G-strings out of here. <laughs> I'm not modeling them. Yeah. Hey, also, uh, available online, Arden Reels and cleaning kits now uh, at the store. True Track Lure, spinnerbaits added to the store. And most importantly, you've got a big announcement. Your third network uh, announcement is going to be coming up here in a couple weeks. Yeah, as soon as we get uh, confirmation on the, on the times, uh, this is huge. Within the United States, we're going to be on our third network. So, very exciting. That's cool. All right, well, we need to get out of here and go talk to Mr. Denny Brower. So we're going to go to commercials, and when we get back, you're going to hear from the man, the myth, the Wheaties man, Mr. Denny Brower. Actually, just a super nice guy and one heck of a fisherman. It's all right here for you on the edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. 
Hello and welcome back to The Edge, and joining us for this week is veteran BASS Elite Pro Denny Brower. Denny, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. I appreciate that, Aaron. You know, Denny, one of the things that I think that it's it's no secret that you love to do, and, and really that you've, I, I guess, kind of come to be known for, and, and that is uh, just your presentation with a jig. Perhaps you could kind of walk us through, I, I know there's a lot of things that goes into fishing a jig, but maybe we could just start right at the beginning and, and some of the things that you do to actually get that bait ready prior to making any cast and and then go into some of the cover and, and some of the applications of which you target with that. Well, you, you're right. A lot does go into getting the jig ready and, and the application, the correct application of the bait. But uh, I've had a love relationship with that bait a long time because it does appeal to big fish. And it's a bait that I think the average angler does have difficulty getting that confidence in because there's days you do not get a lot of bites on it. Uh, it may be a five-bite day, but those five bites may weigh 30 or 40 pounds. You can really catch some big fish on this bait. And what I do is I just take my regular uh, striking pro model jig right out of the package, and I just do a little bit of trimming on the upper corner of the, the weed guard. I think the average person won't even have to touch it. I just do it uh, just kind of, uh, I guess, out of habit more than anything else. And it tells me that I've done all the other steps as far as examining the bait. In other words, you make sure that the line tie of your jig has no pain in it to where it's perfectly smooth. You don't want that line to fray in any way, shape, or form. You make sure the point of the hook is sticky sharp. Uh, so I'll just touch it on my thumbnail to make sure that it won't drag to where it, it wants to stick. If it'll stick on my thumbnail, it'll stick on the roof of a bass's mouth. Uh, if, if it's not that way, you're going to take a file and you're going to file it and make it sharp. Uh, on my jig, I shake it, make sure the rattles are free and they're running the way they should be back and forth in their chambers so that they make the ultimate noise. And I, I'll take the skirt and I'll trim it to where it's only like a half inch behind the back bend of the hook. Kind of do a little moon shape cut with that so that it'll flare better and, and expose the trailer. And after I've done all that, I feel the jig is ready to fish. You know, and, and one of the things that you brought up as far as the inspection uh, process, you had mentioned rattles. Is that something that you only use on occasion or uh, maybe you could kind of spell out for us? when or when you do not use rattles? I use it 100% of the time. I just feel it's a, a great advantage and no disadvantage. I know there's some anglers that feel in gin clear water you should not use rattles. I just feel bass are very curious creatures. And if that bait is making some sound down there, they'll come over to investigate it. And then if it looks good, and smells good, and everything else is right about it, you have a good chance of getting that bite. And especially in jig fishing, where you're fishing heavy cover, whether it's vegetation or brush piles, timber, whatever, you need that fish to know that that bait's down there to help locate. And he's going to know a certain extent just because of the pressure waves that the bulky bait like a jig does give out. But the fact that you've got sound in there, and, and my rattles in, in uh, the striking jig are very, very loud. They really do do the job. And, and I know it makes a difference. Uh, so I use them 100% of the time, and I, I think it's part of the reason I'm successful with the jig. You know, and, and kind of located right above the, the rattles are, are the head, and you know, which has a lot of implications on how that bait falls. Is there a particular weight uh, that you use under certain scenarios? Do you kind of have an all-purpose, or uh, perhaps you could shed some light on that? Well, I, I do. I think everybody's got different favorites. Uh, some of it is how the day is that I'm fishing itself. This is a windy day. Obviously, I prefer a half-ounce 
because I can control the pitch a lot better, control the flight of the jig easier than I could, say, with a quarter or a three-eighths. But most of my jig fishing takes place with uh, three-eighths or one-half-ounce jigs. Obviously, we've got them all the way up to an ounce. But uh, most situations, a half-ounce is probably the best all-around weight just because it penetrates the cover. The only time I really think the three-eighths is a bigger advantage is if you got a real silty bottom, you're fishing real shallow cover, or you're fishing real cold water. And if you're fishing that cold water, you want a slower fall. The fish are moving slower. You do not want that fast-moving bait. In contrast to that, if you're fishing a summertime bite, uh, man, if you're not uh, using a heavy jig or you've got a fast fall in order to get reflex strikes, you're probably not going to get a lot of bites. They do not want that slow-moving bait. So you really got to pay attention to water temperature. But I think if you stock yourself some... Uh, Three eight-ounce jigs and some half-ounce jigs, you'll really be pretty well fed for most conditions. And then kind of on the business end or the hook end, you know, we, we get into the trailers. Preferences, you know, do you break trailers down according to category or action? Or how do, what, you know, what uh, do you use kind of as your litmus test? I really do. Uh, I've got a trailer out called the Denny Broward Chunk. It's made out of a very flexible material that holds up, and it's a straight crawdad tail type of trailer. And to me, it's the ultimate trailer in that cold water where you do not want a lot of action. The neat thing about that trailer is when your jig hits the bottom, the chunk's going to stand straight up to where the pinchers are actually going to look like a real crawdad in a defensive mode. So that's kind of my cold water trailer or my real heavy cover trailer. But we got a new trailer on the market called the uh, Striking Rage Crawl. We got it in a crawdad or we got it in a chunk. And that chunk is a perfect trailer for a jig. And in the warmer weather, when you want a lot of action in your jig, uh, this is almost like a twin-tail grub type of action, but it looks like a crawdad, and it's putting out a lot more pressure waves. It's unbelievable action, and that gives that jig as it's falling. So that's become the trailer I go to 100% of the time, post-spawn, on into the fall when the water starts to cool down, and I, I want to go to a, a more subtle presentation, then I go back to the chunk. And then how do you match your colors both? The, the skirt color as well as the trailer color, what are you using to determine what colors you're going to based upon the conditions? Well, I, I think a lot of anglers really get confused when they start talking colors. And I'll, I'll see people out there that'll have a white jig with a black chunk behind it and do some weird, weird things. And I never want to cut my bait in half color-wise. In other words, I never want to really contrast uh, the back from the front. I want it all to be streamlined and flow together because that's how everything is in the water. Uh, I also always want to have the belly color, the lighter color. So in other words, if you're using a two-tone jig, say a black and chartreuse, have the chartreuse color on the belly of the jig, it'll be a lot more natural that way. As far as color choices, they're kind of made by water clarity more than anything else. In a clear water, I like the natural colors, your browns, your green pumpkins, anything that really looks like a crawdad because I think they're going to scrutinize it a little bit more. Uh, muddy water, I use a color at a striking we call Texas crawfish that is kind of a tricolor jig, but uh, it's got some chartreuse that I'm going to have on the belly. It's got a lot of black in it, and that's my automatic dirty water color. Uh, when I get to that stained water, then that's where that black and blue really plays a part. So I kind of mix the, the different colors we have in the fall when the shad are really up on the surface. I, I swim a lot of white jigs, so some of these colors are specialty colors that I carry just for certain situations, but uh, most of it's determined, uh, you know, by sky conditions and water clarity and stuff like that. Uh, always keep in mind that if you're getting a bite on a certain color bait 
and the conditions get lighter. When there's more light penetration, you're probably going to have to go to a lighter tone. In other words, if you use the black and blue jig and the, the sun comes out, you may have to go to like a green pumpkin jig versus you're using a green pumpkin jig and it clouds up or it's windy where there's not as light, much light penetration. You may have to go to a, a black and blue or a darker colored jig. So, so some of that uh, happens that way, but uh, trailer-wise, I always try to match the trailer to the jig color. Now, either do the predominant color of the jig or do the highlight color of the jig. So, in other words, for the black and blue jig, you can either have a black trailer or you can have a blue trailer. And it, it just seems like, uh, you know, that's something you got to figure out on your own. What are the fish actually preferring for those particular conditions? And when you have a jig in hand, are you, you know, 100% of the time, are you trying to imitate a, uh, you know, like a, a crawfish? Most of the time I am. Uh, and some of it depends on the situation. What are the fish doing? Uh, you take summertime boat dock fish. A lot of times they're feeding on bluegill that are around in boat docks. So I'm going to set my jig up to look like a bluegill. In other words, I'm going to use uh, that Texas crawl color, which is my dirty water color. But because I'm trying to make a bluegill look out of it, I'll put a green pumpkin chunk on it or a, a, a green pumpkin or a rage crawl chunk and, and to make it look identical to a bluegill because I know that's what they're feeding on around them docks. There, there's other times uh, I know they're down the bottom, they're feeding on crawfish. It's going to look like a crawfish, uh, and I'm going to fish it that way on the bottom. In the fall, when I'm using that white jig, I'm going to have the chunk on it, and I'm going to be swimming it, never letting it go to the bottom, swimming it uh, you know, right under bow docks. Uh, underneath the flotation, swimming it through treetops, because I know if there's baits on the surface, uh, you know, the game fish aren't very far from the surface. They're suspended on targets, so i got to keep it up in that strike zone. So a lot of it's just common sense on how you're doing this stuff, but always do it for a reason. And if you're not getting bit, ask yourself, you know, what can I do better, or what can, what else could I try that might generate a bite? And then on the terminal tackle side of things, let's say starting with the line, are you, you kind of a fluorocarbon, braid, monofilament, or do you select those and you know based upon pound tests, those type of things, or do you pretty much stick with the same line? I mix it up a little bit. I used to obviously just be a monofilament guy, but our industry's come a long way since then to where we have more options. And to me, the ultimate slip and pitch and jig fishing line is a good braided line that's very tightly woven to where you don't get a lot of friction in your guides uh, that uh, virtually eliminates the possibility of a break-off. Uh, when I'm fishing braid, I'm fishing, you know, 60 to 80-pound braid, and you are not going to get broke off. That's just not going to happen. You may get cut off or something bad happen on a sharp object, but on a direct pull, I don't care whether it's a 10-pound bass, it's not going to break you off. So that is, that is my option if I can get by with it, but you can't always get by with it. In other words, on a real clear water scenario or a real high-pressured lake scenario, a lot of times they get conditioned to that braided line, and you're not going to get as many strikes. Heavy cover, dirty water, go with the braid. Clear water, high-pressured areas where they're seeing a lot of lures, probably better off going with fluorocarbon. And, and that's what I do. I'll get some 25-pound test fluorocarbon, and I'll flip with it. You know, a lot of times, too, you speak of the versatility of a jig. Uh, from your experience and, and the way that you like to fish it, are you, are you mainly setting a short distance away, you know, presenting and dropping that bait to specific targets, or, um, you know, are there times in which you'll, you'll make a long cast? And that, once again, is kind of a water clarity and cover decision I have to make. Uh, if the cover's real heavy and the water's pretty dirty, you can get by with fishing real close to the fish and using the flipping technique to where you're just, you know, dropping it in a lot of different places in that cover. 
and you're very, very close to the fish. You can determine your strikes. You can get a good hook set. Your fish that you're going to land ratio is probably going to be higher. Uh, you're more accurate with your presentations. Uh, I think you always want to fish as close to the fish as you can get by with. But once that water gets clear, you cannot get that close without scaring them. So that's when we stay a little further back. We use a pitching technique, which, uh, you know, about doubles the distance that you're away from the fish. And I think you can generate a lot more strikes that way. And if it's an isolated deal in real clear water, I think you even need to stay further back and you know, use the casting technique, a long underhand cast or a long skip to get it into that strike zone. So, yeah, it makes a lot of difference according to water clarity and cover density on how close and what technique you need to use. And along the same lines, Denny, although it's not per se uh, jig fishing, but it's still kind of the same genre with, with the uh, flipping and the pitching, and that is uh, you know, the utilization of soft plastics. But one of the things that I know that you are adamant about is the use of tungsten as the material of which the, the sinker is um, you know, constructed. Can you just briefly touch on some of those high points? Yeah, I can, and I think I was one of the world's worst at uh, you know, thinking it was maybe a gimmick when tungsten first came out because I was just one of them old lead sinker guys. And I think you've got to use some products on the market before you really appreciate them. And I guess the first time I used a tungsten weight, I'm going, my God, I can feel what the bottom's like. I can feel <laughs> the bites better. You, the sensitivity of that material, uh, I guess the best way I can put it is lead's kind of a dead feeling. And uh, the tungsten is, is such a hard material, it's almost like a ping when it hits bottom or, or when, a, when a fish takes it. So your awareness level increases just by the product you're fishing there. And I think it not only helps you determine the bottom makeup that you're fishing, whether it's rock or mud, it also helps you determine that strike. And I think those are all important things. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I think it helps you catch and hook more fish. And the reason I say that, anybody that's worm-fished, no matter what type of soft plastic you're throwing, whether it's a worm or crawdad or whatever, you're going to see teeth marks on a lead slip sink. And when those teeth marks were created, when you set the hook and you had to blow that slip sinker through the fish's lips before you got a hook penetration, well, those teeth marks being made in that lead were slowing the travel of the hook down behind that sinker so that you probably weren't getting as good a hook set. That does not happen with tungsten. The material is so hard that they cannot get their teeth into it, so they cannot slow, slow it down at all, and you end up getting a lot better hook penetration. And I know when I got involved in designing uh, the Denny Brower flipping weight for true tungsten, that was part of what I had in mind, was making that sinker design so it passed through the lifts of that bass, through those teeth faster, to where I could get that better hook set and better hook penetration, which translates into catching more fish. And it's never more important than it is in flipping and pitching, especially because you're using heavier diameter hooks there to where you really got to have a good hook set and move that hook to get that hook penetration. But it's important even in light line fishing when you're fishing deep where you still need that hook penetration too. So once you start using that style of flipping weight, you're you're never going to use a different style weight because you will see the changes of it in a hurry. And plus, uh, the paint stays on, and you can match the sinker to the plastic bait you're fishing to where it looks natural in the water. So a lot, a lot of reasons to use a true tungsten flipping weight and absolutely no reasons not to. Yeah, and I know here in our last closing minute or so, Denny, one of the other things that uh, I know that you had mentioned 
is the just the neck and the design of, of how that comes through. Uh, yeah, it really is. Um, the way I designed the flipping weight was so that it's more weight forward. And by that, it helps the piece of plastic pull down through the matted grass easier. And the way I've got it tapered on the back end gives the plastic a neck. And that weight is not so tied up against the piece of plastic, it won't bend. If it won't bend, it just lays on the vegetation. The way it's designed, it goes down through there. It penetrates the cover better. But it also, when you set the hook on that bass, because of that tapered back of the slip sinker, once it gets past the middle part of it, it gains speed in a hurry. And once again, that translates into a better hook set. Well, Denny, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. But the good news is uh, you and I uh, have been able to spend some time together down in Morgan City, Louisiana. And so we'll look forward to uh, sharing that with not only the viewers, but also the listeners. And we'll have you back on. But uh, in the meantime, we wish you the best of luck uh, on the remainder of your tour this year and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. I appreciate that, Eric. What can you say? He's a veteran bass competitor, and you, you can definitely tell it from the interview. Denny's just a wonderful man. I've had him on the radio show a couple of times. Just a super nice guy. Yeah, And he, uh, I love what he does with jigs. That, that's what I was about to say. I mean, anytime when you get into an interview... And I think I maybe said about 10 words. I mean, I found myself mesmerized kind of by what the detail that he was going into from not only his jig preparation, you know, color choices, all those things. I mean, the, the guy obviously uh, knows what he's doing. Well, anybody that sits there and trims the skirt on his jig, I don't know too many people that actually go to that extreme. But then he does. That's why he's where he's at. And I really love the way he does with the weights. Because, um, you know, you take a limited knowledge person on jig fishing, which I am. I'm more of a spinnerbait, crankbait person. And, uh, you know, he just, it's wonderful to listen to him because you pick up some really neat tips. The man knows the intricacies of, of flipping and specific, in this case, you know, jig fishing. But I thought the way he simplified it and said, you know, when, when I kind of cornered him and asked him, is, is there a particular jig that's kind of your universal choice? And how he broke down, you know, he prefers the half-ounce jig really for um, from post-spawn all the way through till the fall to create that, that fast fall, uh, that reaction strike. And then once the water starts to cool down, he backs his weight down a little bit, maybe to a 3 8 ounce, get that slower fall, slower presentation, uh, you know, to generate more bite. Absolutely. And one of the things that I know he did, he's been doing this for years, he always uses rattles on his jigs. Yeah, and, and that was, again, uh, another great, uh, I think, point in the fact that, you know, he brought up uh, the fact in the interview that, you know, in clear water, you know, maybe you don't need that, uh, that, that extra vibration because, you know, fish are going to be more reactive to, uh, to the site. And I thought his point concerning that, you know, it doesn't hurt. It's never proved uh, to be a hindrance that he's aware of. And it goes back to really, you know, a lot of the things that Jay McNamara talks about in his book, just as far as confidence. And that is a confidence factor for him. And he never leaves his jig naked from, uh, you know, from rattles. Yeah. How was Morgan City? Morgan City was absolutely fantastic. And a lot of the things that he just talked about on that interview, you are going to get to see firsthand specifically what he does to his baits, uh, how he uses those, how he selects his colors some of the trailers that he referenced, the more aggressive trailers, uh, but also then his points, uh, you know, talking about the importance of tungsten. And, you know, he, he's kind of pretty adamant about the use of tungsten. You know, he, he brought up the fact that always before he was, you know, more or less a kind of a lead sinker guy. But then once he realized the sensitivity that tungsten uh, transfers into more strikes, being able to feel the contour of the bottom, and then also that design that he came out with uh, on that, that, uh, 
tungsten weight with being necked down of how the fish cannot actually sink their teeth into tungsten because it's too hard. Uh, that allows you to jerk that on a hook set. You're going to get a better hook set because it doesn't slow the exit of that bait out of its mouth if bass has its mouth clamped down on the weight. So a lot of great stuff. One and a half ounce jig from post-spawn through the fall and then going to the three ounce in the cold weather, get down there a little more depth on your presentation. So some really good tips there. Yeah, the three-eighth ounce, you know, with that, that little uh, less aggressive trailer, more the chunk style going to fall in the wintertime. Um, all good stuff and all stuff that we can use year-round. You betcha. All right, folks, we need to take another break. When we come back, you're going to hear from Troy. I don't get heckled heckleman from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, which in all seriousness is a great group. And uh, I know Troy's going to have some great tips for you, so we'll be back right after these words on the edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us for this week's edition of The Inside Edge is Troy Heckerman from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. Troy, how have you been doing? I have been doing great. It's uh, good to be back with you, Aaron. Always glad to have you. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that we kind of cover the, the fact that just because it's summertime and school is out, the CBAA is not in a resting position right now. Oh, no, it isn't. We're full steam ahead getting uh, phone calls and new team contact every week. You know, and I think with that being said, Troy, I remember through some of our discussions um, throughout this past year, I want to make sure that we cover and we really reiterate to uh, collegiate bass anglers that are out there, you know, if you are thinking about getting involved, it's very important that you get that paperwork and get that process started now because I remember, you know, there were some of the anglers that uh, were not recognized by their respective universities and that and basically didn't get to participate. No, that, that's right, and that's a unfortunate situation and just want to um, reemphasize to all potential student angler groups out there uh, you know we know that with the school work and regular work and homework and all that that there's a lot a lot of things going on in their lives right now so, but it is a fairly harmless process just give us a call and we'll do a quick research into what the background options are uh, for preparing a club at your university and we'll put together a development plan to help you get on the water as soon as possible. You know, and speaking of getting on the water, Troy, uh, I, I think that's basically where you're you're pretty much finding yourself right now. You've you're what down at uh, Ufala, Lake Ufala in Oklahoma. Uh, yes, we are. We're at the inaugural uh, CBA Big Twelve Championship this weekend. Yeah, and that's uh, your partner on that is uh, I think we share that in common is Legend Boats, right? Oh, absolutely. What a, what a great group of people, Dwayne and Randy. It's just been a joy to work with down there, and it's uh, a great 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 to be part of the, the Legend Boat team. Well, we'll be excited to see the outcome of that because I know, obviously, that'll be featured in the Bass Edge newsletter. But uh, certainly, give me a call and let me know what's going on down there. And and then you also have uh, some other events I know that's on the on the slate. Got coming up, I think, in August on Table Rock Lake. Ah, uh, yes, working with a fine group of uh, student anglers and hard chargers down at Drury University, putting together a uh, CBA uh, event on Table Rock, which I think could be one of the jewels in the collegiate bass fishing uh, crown here in the next couple of years. It's uh, something we're really excited about. 
and uh, also coming up in October, we are going to have the opportunity to provide the first Southeast Conference Championship uh, down in Alabama. Well, and, you know, it just seems like that the outreach of the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association is getting bigger and bigger just even since I've been involved with it. And, you know, matter of fact, next uh, next month in July, we head to Minnesota. And joining me as a, in a co-host position uh, for an entire episode of Bass Edge is going to be one of the Collegiate Bass Angler Association anglers. Yes, and I think you'll uh, find find a couple of anglers that's going to be up in Minnesota with you, and they're uh, good representatives of the sport and our organization. You know, and, and, and that brings kind of to fruition the, the fact that uh, and the importance that we have to get this message out because there is just such a huge opportunity and just the thought, you know, of being able to go to college and participate in fishing, you know, it just doesn't get any better than that. Oh, no, not at all. It's, uh, you know, wish we had these opportunities when we were in school, but uh, you know, it's something that has been a lot of hard work, but it's, uh, you know, not really been work. It's something that we believe in and we're dedicated to, and it's, uh, um, just a great service that we're, we're proud to be able to provide the, the student anglers of uh, our country. Well, and, and you know, to see the growth of the sport, you know, obviously we've talked about on here before, Troy, uh, there's been some other organizations that have stepped up to participate in the college market. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's widespread right now. Remind us uh, again of the kind of the differences with uh, the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, the CBAA in particular. And, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it other than just the competition and, and an entry fee. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, I think the primary difference between us and what the uh, other organizations out there are is that we are a not-for-profit amateur athletic organization. Our primary goal is towards the standardization and unification of the sport towards varsity recognition. And we know that uh, once uh, the sport of collegiate bass fishing becomes a recognized varsity sport, that that's when it's going to really impact what the opportunities that are going to be available for the uh, student anglers uh the uh, you know scholarship opportunities to help some student anglers that might not have an opportunity to go to college you know and these are our next generation of outdoor leaders and legislators so it's an important mission that we're on it's one that we're committed to and it's uh, something we're not going to stop uh, stop pursuing until we, until we've achieved it well and and you know just the very thought of, of what you said there you know future leaders um, not only that but just think of how many uh, potential professional anglers might come out of that as well. But bottom line is, uh, it, it's the experience. It's about promoting, you know, the outdoors, the camaraderie, and, and the skills, the life skills, really, that's necessary uh, to be able to, to go out into kind of the working world post-college uh, that you're able to, to utilize and, and kind of, uh, I guess, you know, put into play out on the water. No, absolutely, and that's uh, one, one thing that we like to emphasize in uh, one of our new programs is, you know, and uh, we pride ourselves on it, is, you know, building champions of character on and off the water, because there's so uh, many things that, you know, mirror in, in our daily lives and, you know, our participation in our local communities about, you know, just good discernment practices, you know, how to make the right decisions and, you know, how to show what you're doing is important by, you know, making those decisions, and, you know, and these anglers are going to be a success on the water, and we want to make sure that they're successful uh, in their local communities as well. Well, Troy, uh, speaking of success, I'm sure you uh, uh, have a, a lot of uh, trophies in that uh, and awards to be giving out there at, uh, at the Legend Tournament uh, at Lake You Follow, the Big 12 Championship of where you're at. But before we get off here, uh, I know there's a couple different ways of which uh, our, our listeners can get in touch with you. Could you spell those out before we uh, exit? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Our uh, we're available on our on the World Wide Web at www.collegiantbass.org. Or if you want to, uh, feel free to send me an email at troy at collegiantbass.org. 
or hey, got a cell phone that rings all the time, but feel free to give me a call at 574-780-4390. Love to talk to you and uh, all things collegiate bass fishing. Hey, Troy, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we're going to talk to you again in probably about four or five weeks and see what else is going on. Not a problem, Aaron. Sure appreciate you guys, and uh, appreciate our friends and supporters of uh, Bass Edge. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge. Thanks to Troy from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. Like I said, going out, a uh, great group, and they do a wonderful lot of wonderful lot of things for kids while they're going to school. So uh, what a great way to have an activity and get some of that stress of learning off of you. I hear that because I had plenty of stress when I was in school. It's just fortunate I got out of it. No, hey, you know what? Not many people can survive a nine-year thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm, like, once again, I'm proud of you for finishing. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, reminder again, uh, please don't forget to check out the latest Bass Edge merchandise. Uh, I know Aaron's the favorite of the pink tees right now. Uh, he's got them in XXL sizes, so you two can wear one. Yeah. Uh, sign up for the new e-letter. Uh, that is absolutely free of charge at BassEdge.com. And don't forget to sign up for the prize giveaways and include your shipping information. Still having some problems with that. People are great about sending questions in, and please continue to do that. But if you don't put your info in there, we can't send you anything to say thank you. So make sure you uh, do that, right, Aaron? That's right. You know, and speaking of questions, we, I think we have a pretty good one this week. Yeah, we do. Larry from Pearland, Texas, wants to know what type of bait do you recommend for fishing pads on Lake Sam Rayburn, Texas, for the month of June or July? That's right, and the good thing is that uh, actually I just got back from Sam Rayburn, so this is something that we actually did, uh, Larry, so uh, perfect timing. But, um, you know, I targeted actually both pads and then also the, the peppergrass that was, uh, the peppergrass would be kind of isolated uh, either behind or to the edge of, of the lily pads. And really what I found, and, and, and this isn't just for Sam Rayburn, but specifically in this case, uh, the hollow body toad, kind of like the spro uh, frog, or uh, the swimming frogs, kind of like the ribbit or the, the horny toad um, made by Zoom, those were really the two best lures um, that I found for enticing strikes. And I think we caught like, I don't know, probably 22, 25 bass, something like that, with our biggest being in the five-pound range. And, and the other thing was that this was right in the middle of the day. You know, when the sun was up, uh, on Sam Rayburn, the current is, is key. So anytime that you can find, normally um, about late morning into the middle of the day, they'll kick on those generators and really get things moving. And what happens is as, as the day gets hotter, those bass will move up under those pads and around the vegetation to seek out that shade and kind of in those staging points for the ambush because when that current starts rolling through, they want to be able to ambush that prey. But another effective strategy that you might want to try uh, if, if you're not necessarily having as much success or just to kind of pick on a different group of fish is around the edges of those pads and those pepper grass. And uh, you can actually do that by, you know, getting like a, a topwater popping or a chugging bait uh, that resembles a blue, bluegill and also then a wacky rig uh, finesse worm. And um, just pitching those around the edges, it's a little harder to throw kind of that, that popping or chugging bait in the thick vegetation, but around the edges it works phenomenally well. 
And by using both of those techniques, actually you'll, you'll be you know, targeting two different groups of fish because some hold right in the thick of things, and then there's others that staging out on the outer edges and uh, really fish those areas a little more thoroughly, and chances are you're going to put more fish in the boat. Well, there you go. Larry, I hope that helps you out. And great question from Pierland, Texas. Thanks very much. If you would like to send us a listener email or a question, just go to prostaff at bassedge.com, and they'll be answered on the website. Some of them will be here on the podcast or the on the uh, e-newsletter. We'll do our best to make sure we try and get everyone's uh, questions answered. And don't forget to go to bassedge.com and check out those new video clips, folks. There's still uh, the Ask the Pro section. We have new video clips ready to go. And I know that's a real popular feature. What's up next? Uh, next week, we have Larry Nixon. And then also, uh, under the Inside Edge, we'll be talking with Mike Webb concerning his new electronics and uh, deep fishing DVD that will be out. So, great show ahead of us. All right. Well, we'll see you all next time right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make The Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch. Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, MegaWare Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.